0: Welcome to Asian Book Club, where we highlight Asian and Asian American authors. We are your hosts,
1: Jameh and Sabangin. and
0: I'm Stephen Park, and you've been staying pretty busy, Jameh.
1: I have. So if you all remember in the first episode where we talk about the reason why we started Asian Book Club, one of those reasons was because I had... A hard time finding a book club where I can join, where I can find other women and femmes of color, where I felt welcome. And since then, I have found myself in four different book clubs. Mm-hmm. One of the book clubs is the one I said I had trouble getting into. I found another newly established book club of Filipinx, Filipina, Filipinos, and And then another one online, as well as this Asian book club. So I went from zero to four.
0: Mm -hmm. And how have you been keeping up with them?
1: I've just been reading my butt off. Now I'm beginning to reestablish myself as a book dragon. So I'm reading all the things all at once.
0: Nice. All right. So this week we're going into our book Bodega. But before we get into it... I was thinking, neither of us really grew up with a true bodega. I feel Mm. like a bodega is a very specific New York thing. Yeah. Um, But obviously we grew up with other places that we went to, like Mm -hmm. liquor stores. And for me, it was like a CVS or a Rite Aid. And these were like little places that I would stop by and pick up little snacks and things to eat on the side. Now, do you remember as a kid, if you were given $10 which was a pretty decent amount of money back then, Mm -hmm. what would you get? Like, where would you go and what would you get?
1: So thinking about growing up, I would be given $5, and that felt like a lot. Oh, yeah. And there were two different stores that I can think of that was nearby. And one of them, I would always get these chocolate sticks in a juice Oh my gosh, I don't know why I'm forgetting. I'm like blanking out on the names. But the juice was Zesto. I remember that for sure. I loved the orange and the grape Zesto the most. Wait, what's a Zesto? Zesto is like Filipino Capri Sun, mm. But it's, it's only fruit juice. So it's not whatever wild flavors Capri Sun comes in. Mm-hmm. So there would be grape. There would be orange. There would be... I don't remember what the green fruit was, but there was a green fruit.
0: I mean, is it fruit juice or quote-unquote fruit juice? Of
1: course, it's quote-unquote fruit juice, but they were flavors that you can pinpoint. It wasn't like tropical, Mm blah-blah-blah.
0: And then what are these chocolate sticks?
1: I remember them being in a red box, and there would be two kids in the front, with the chocolate sticks behind them so i can't remember for the life of me what the name of the the actual chocolate sticks are but they're kind of like pre-dipped yan oh
0: okay yeah so the whole thing's chocolate or do you have a little handle
1: there's a little handle of non-dipped pretzel stick
0: mm. Nice.
1: Yeah, and that's what I would get whenever my, specifically my tata, who is my paternal grandfather, whenever he would pick me up from school and he had $5 for me, that's where we would go.
0: Mm. For me, the thing that I remember or I look back on when I think about it is there was a right aid exactly halfway between my junior high school and my home, mm-hmm. and having both of my parents work, I always walked back. Yes. And so, as I'm walking back, I always made a pit stop there. Not always, but if I had money, I'd make a pit stop there. Mm-hmm. It was also next to a Little Caesars, which sometimes yeah. would also take that pit <laughs> stop. Um, but if I had the money and I was a kid i was usually going for an arnold palmer Mm. the big old can and i think (laughs) it was more for the value than anything else totally and then i would get these pretzel things with the fake cheesy pizza thing on the inside combos combos that's what it's called Mm. that's what i would pick up and i think if i had extra money i'd go with like a little chocolate bar or something but usually Mm. it was just those two it was the arnold palmer and the combos although i think Sometimes I would spend all the money on a ride aid ice cream, like gallon box, which it always came in a box, like Mm. fancy wine. Mm. Um, (laughs) And you would just scoop and scoop. I'm pretty sure that's the reason I got so heavy so quickly. Mm. But yeah, I would go to town on that. And I always felt like I had to eat it before my parents found out because they wouldn't let (laughs) me have it. So I would try to finish a gallon of ice cream every single time.
1: And no one would find out. I don't know. Like,
0: my grandma, like, she's always home, so -hmm. she might have known, but she was too loving to say anything.
1: So she never rat you out. No,
0: she would never do that. No. Yeah. Anyways, so those would be my go-tos, and I think if there was a bodega, it'd probably be worse, because I'd probably get (laughs) sandwiches and things, but Yeah.
1: I'm just going to cut in. You did mention that we grew up going to liquor stores. I have never been to a liquor store until I went to Portland. I don't know how you grew up. I've never been to a liquor store
0: on Guam. A liquor store is... It's not a liquor store. It's like a 7-Eleven. It's Mm. like a convenience store. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. But we call them liquor stores. Uh,
1: Maybe you call them liquor stores. Yes,
0: because California has the laws that you can purchase liquor from there, and a lot of people would.
1: Mm, Okay, thanks for clarifying, because my guam mind was like, what? I did not grow up at a liquor store.
0: Yeah, kids were not allowed there. (laughs) Uh, But speaking of which, we may not recommend you the next liquor to drink, but we can recommend you our recommendation for the week.
1: So, our recommendation for the week is someone who brings me in particular joy and I think, I think she brings us both joy. She is a comedian and an author. Her name is Ali Wong. She's known for writing the book Dear Girls in which she talks specifically to her girls but she also envelopes her readers into it and she's also well known for being both a comedian and an actor. On Netflix she has a whole sleuth of of She has a
0: specials. Yeah,
1: specials and series and a movie. You might know her from Beef, a drama series. You might know her from Always Be My Maybe, where she acts with Keanu Reeves and Randall Park, which is a rom-com. And the reason why I'm recommending Ali Wong is particularly for her comedy specials. Baby Cobra, Hard Knock Wife, and Don Wong. Whenever I feel down or whenever I feel lost and misguided and with no direction these are the three <laughs> the three shows the three specials that i automatically put on the television they mm-hmm. ground me they bring me life they bring me joy and ali wong find her at her website at ali or on instagram at ali wong and
0: 2023 she is currently on tour
1: Mm. um so
0: not saying that you may catch this time around but you can find her tour dates and tickets at ally and she does she is pretty active on her ig yes but one thing i did want to input is there is a b-side to this Mm. which is she was a producer i think but she also i'm not sure exactly what her role was but she had a major hand in the production of another stand-up special um, mm. His name was Shen Wing.
1: Mm-hmm. Sheng Sheng Wing. Sheng
0: Wing, um, a really, really, really surprisingly good stand-up comic. Yes. Um, I would highly recommend adding that onto the list because mm. I think they have very similar styles. Yeah. And so if you start listening to Ali Wong, you run out of content. Then following that up with something that she put her hand into was also pretty good. Yeah. But that's our recommendation for the week. Okay, so this week we are talking about Bodega. This is our chapbook. Chap book. Chap book.
1: Yes, because it's a small collection of poems.
0: Mm -hmm. And Bodega was written by Su Huang. Um, And so let me just kind of review the description from the story graph. Uh, It is Against the backdrop of the war on drugs and the 1992 LA riots. A Korean girl comes of age in her parents' bodega in the Queensbridge Projects, offering a singular perspective on our nation of immigrants and the tensions pulsing in the margins where they live and work. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, I am not the most apt or skilled at reading poetry, but how did you feel with the description that was provided by Storygraph?
1: Totally. So. On the opposite end, I am a poet myself, and I love poetry, and reading it at the beginning, not thinking about the context of the LA riots, the war on drugs, and the immigrant family that the speaker comes from, it didn't feel like there was a a through line or a thread that put things into focus it felt like a lot of vignettes of New York at least that's what I was reading and it didn't it didn't feel as heavy as I was expecting it to be at first what were your thoughts when you went into it
0: so I think I originally went into it thinking that there would be a lot more effect from the war on drugs and the LA riots Mm -hmm. like I thought that would be a much bigger character in Mm, these mm poems but I realized it was just her story like I think what they're talking about with those two big events in time Mm -hmm. were just setting up this environment of Mm -hmm. where she grew up in Mm
1: -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Um, so it was kind of like the backdrop like it was Mm -hmm. like if you're looking at a photo of someone the character was her but Mm -hmm. the background were these events Mm -hmm. so I originally I went into it thinking same thing I thought it would be a lot bigger on the context of those two events Mm -hmm. but truly it was just about this girl at the time kind of growing up in new york
1: totally and i think storygraph's description highlights the active word here backdrop the war on drugs and the la riots were a backdrop to the experience and like you said it wasn't the experience itself Mm -hmm. yeah And before we continue, just as a reminder for those who are not particularly familiar with poetry, and I've shared this with Stephen in particular, but when we read poetry, even if it's autobiographical, we read poems through the eyes of the speaker. So we're not thinking of the author as a speaker, we're thinking of the speaker like a narrator as of some sort. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Um... Yeah. I'll likely get it wrong. It's if okay. you as a listener also gets it wrong, then we just shake it off and keep moving forward.
1: Absolutely. And just
0: realize that it's a speaker, not the other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so knowing what the backdrop is, knowing the context, I was able to better frame the collection and better understand where the speaker was coming from. And what brought more clarity was the structure. Bodega is broken down into three specific parts, and to me, those parts are not clearly outlined or titled. Instead, they're prefaced by another author's poem. And with that in mind, the three parts to me seem like part one was backstory, family life, before the LA riots. Part two felt like the reach and the effects of the L.A. riots and the war on drugs from coast to coast. And part three seemed to be a back to new normal, which meant that there was still shape-shifting and assimilating. There was still trying to figure out parental relationships, and there was still dealing with a flawed world and country.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's talk about part one. Mm -hmm. So this is her backstory. This is her growing up. What did you take away from this compilation of poems in part one?
1: In this particular compilation, it seemed like the speaker had a lot of trouble growing up within their immigrant family, that there was a lot of fighting, that there was not only fighting between the parents, but in, among the family members, but there was still love. That's the general sense I got, but in addition, it felt like there was something brewing below the surface that even though the people of different cultures and different backgrounds were getting along, that there was something going to happen or something that the speaker foresaw happening.
0: Right, so we have decided to highlight a poem from each section Mm -hmm. um, of the three parts. Mm -hmm. And the first one that we wanted to talk about was Latchkey.
1: And you can find that on page 12.
0: Right. So Latchkey was a poem that I thought connected with me a lot because it was very familiar to how I grew up. Mm. Um, My Parents were always working because they were trying to make a living for my brother and I to succeed. But my grandmother, even though she was home, she was a figure that took care of us. Mm -hmm. But past the moment that we were children, she didn't play a heavy hand in raising us. Mm. She was just there as a resource of what we needed. Mm. So we always felt like latchkey kids. Mm. So I'm going to read this poem for you. So latchkeys. When headlights cast shadow puppets against the living room wall. My brother and I did our best to keep up appearances. He scurried to turn off the Nintendo console while I hung up on my best friend. He splayed open his biology textbook. I leapt to the upright Yamaha to play the first few notes of Fur Elise, a perfectly choreographed intermezzo for our parents who'd stagger in from their hour-long commute, their clothes reeking of chemicals. They'd nod father heading to the backyard to hit a golf ball on a string while mother silently made dinner, rice, kimchi, spam, as we three listened from different corners of the house to a tiny white ball greeting iron.
1: What images or what words jumped out at you when you were reading that poem?
0: The first one was brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so my brother is and was and I think always will be such a big, prominent figure in my life. Mm -hmm. He really helped guide me to the person that I've become now. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was Nintendo. Because my brother and I always fought over the Nintendo. Mm. Um, But those two words together raised a lot of what we were in our childhood. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I think it showed a very clear image of these kids being able to be with each other. Mm -hmm. And not only survive, but find ways to both finish their homework, then still, like, do the fun parts of life, but then also complete the extra assignments of playing the piano and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Then towards the back end, it was the mother cooking, which is the way that my mom shows our family love, Mm -hmm. is she's always cooking and making things for us. Totally. And then it was the dad, where... My dad never golfed, but from an early age, I remember he'd come back from work. And, you know, I think I understand it more now, but he needed some alone time. He needed to work out or as he got older, he needed to take naps. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it just played, even though the activities may have not been exactly the same as what I grew up with, it was a very similar framework. And I think it really gave me a clear understanding of how she grew up as well.
1: Totally, like a very familiar sense of things and having that relatability, Mm -hmm. totally. It also, what stuck out to me in Latch Keys was how vivid the images were. Mm -hmm. How, once the headlights brought shadows into the room, that was their cue to, we gotta hide what we were doing Mm -hmm. because our parents are not going to Mm -hmm. like it. And we're going to do the things that our parents enjoy or want us to be doing, like playing furlies or playing the piano Mm -hmm. and then allowing them to decompress while we're still miming the things that they expect us to do.
0: Mm -hmm. And kids won't know this nowadays, but my my alarm was the garage door because it made such Mm -hmm. a loud noise rising up. But the way that my dad always caught me, and I think my brother too, but I always got caught... Watching the TV because there's a certain thing that tube TVs used to do where mm. they got really warm, but not only that, the TV screen wouldn't go straight black. Right, it go to They'd like a hazy. gray, yep, and then it turned black. So my dad always knew, and I was like, "How does he do that? Like, how on earth would he know?" And I was like, "Is Grandma snitching on me?" I was like, "I'm pretty sure she's not," mm-hmm. but as I grew up, I kind of knew, but
1: totally. Yeah,
0: um, and then so I thought this was a very bright and light way to look at things mm-hmm. even though obviously the parents are doing their own things yeah. but as you progress in this part one it gets a little bit darker
1: yeah it does there are different poems that are not necessarily focused on their family like hopscotch where where the speaker is talking about playing with their friends and how they're all from different backgrounds and not really thinking about it Mm -hmm. and there's also a poem at the very end of this part one called show me where it hurts where it acknowledges that this country the u.s in particular makes life difficult for people of color especially those who are most marginalized like women and femmes and girls of color
0: Mm -hmm. and i thought that was a great Look at some of the more global aspects of yes. it, which does play more into that background mm-hmm. of the struggle that we're seeing in America. Mm-hmm. Um, on page 17, the poem about Oma, so E O M M mm-hmm. A, it's Oma, which is mom in Korean, that one shows that more internal struggle yeah. of what that family structure kind of had to go through mm-hmm. as both parents are struggling in a new country without money. And trying to raise kids and doing all those things. So I really liked how she looked at both the image of self, the intermediate environment, and then the larger environment.
1: Yeah, totally. Which brings us to part two, where the racial tensions have bled across coasts and what those effects look like in the most immediate sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, when I think L.A. riots, I'm not thinking New York. Right. Um, and like I said I didn't know how it affected me which is kind of the same sense I got from the book mm. is she didn't it didn't seem like she really knew like oh the LA riots
1: is happening oh yeah
0: well, this is event is Rodney King and mm-hmm. that whole mess right um but yeah it, it it was very interesting to see her side of the story without telling the event
1: right exactly so it's showing not telling mm-hmm. for those writers who know that that writing rule this was an absolute it was an absolute example of showing us what was happening without telling us what was happening Mm -hmm. one of the poems that stuck out is the namesake of this book bodega which spans from pages 44 to 50 and it begins with adrian rich's words But we have different voices, even in sleep, and our bodies so alike are yet so different, and the past echoing through our bloodstreams is freighted with different language, different meanings, though in any chronicle of the world we share, it could be written with new meaning. Part 1 Mrs. Kim sits on a stool behind the register. She spits gently on her fingers, bending back the wad of new dollar bills. She wears a latex glove, counting along the corners, nice and steady, like the hands of an expert surgeon. Archer. Manicurist? His name's Raul. When the Kims holler for him, it sounds something like Laul. Asians can't seem to roll their Rs. Raul stocks shelves, mops the floor, breaks down cardboard boxes. The Kims talk to him by pointing to things. To Raul, they're squawking gulls. Par favor, par favor. He insists the regulars call him Jimmy. Some people prefer Jim, so to them he's Jim Kim. He doesn't look like a Jimmy, a James maybe. His real name is Kim Jin Soo, but that's not the sound of integration. He roams the aisles with his arms folded along his lower back, a real odyssey. Or he leans akimbo by the fruit stand along the curb watching the city zoom by. When Jimmy smokes, he squats like an old woman in the fields or a peasant relieving himself in the woods. Where Raul comes from, there are tumbleweeds and an insistent heat. His wife and three children also remain. Here, in the land of bounty, he should never have to be hungry again. But his stomach feels empty. So many mouths need feeding. It's been six years since he's held his family. He tries not to think of them as he straightens cans of beans, tuna, tomato sauce to face the same way. Jim Kim daydreams by practicing his golf swing, his one source of happiness, a real Korean pastime, putt-putt, an imaginary ball on pristine turf. When he plays twice a year at the community golf course, he channels Jig Nicholas in that hideous green jacket. Mrs. Kim watches Korean soap operas on a miniature TV next to the lotto machine, the one time of day she treasures, latex fingers tap the counter like a metronome. In a past life, she wanted to be a concert pianist. To beat the doldrums, she hums the scales, do re mi fa sola la ti do, though she can hardly remember herself as a little girl. After his eight-hour shift, Raoul naps on the subway to Midtown. He moonlights as a dishwasher for a chichi French restaurant, mon amour, two Michelin stars. Back of the house, family meal is usually stew from leftover fish parts, head, tail, bones. On a decent night, spaghetti with mystery meat sauce out of a vat. Has no idea what foie gras is, what charcuterie is, a nice bottle of wine could feed his village for a week. He sleeps in a basement room with four other men. Raoul takes out more trash, never mind he once farmed his own land. In Korea, Jimmy was a journalist, even traveled to Sydney. He has a picture to prove it, standing in front of the leafed opera house by the harbor. But what does that matter now, when you can't even string a full sentence together? What is the point of language when it's no longer yours, put put? Part 2 A black man walks in, vanishes into an aisle, Mrs. Kim shoots up straight, stilled. She couldn't tell you why she's suspicious, full of dread. No real memory of fear, just imagined scenes propagated by who knows who or what. The man cradles a loaf of bread, loves diapers, a carton of milk. He smiles, but all she can do is glare. Sandy is in her one proper dress, the bright blue one that makes her eyes pop. She can't believe people donate perfectly fine clothes to Goodwill. Luckily, it was buried in the 3 dollars bin. You snooze, you lose. She's afraid the Chinese lady can hear her stomach growl as she drops cans of tuna into her backpack set on the floor. Sandy peers over the shelf, sees the lady watching a black guy opening the refrigerator door no one ever suspects the young blonde girl who cleans up real nice suckers joseph is watched eyes constantly study his design jerks and strata of skin and limbs he lives around the corner takes care of his daughter was raised by a single mother works nights as a security guard volunteers at the boys and girls club sings in the church choir but without the uniform he knows he is as good as a dead man walking Sandy walks up to the Chinese lady at the register, then runs her fingers along the packs of chewing gum like strings on her boyfriend's guitar. She can hear herself saying, ching chong, ching chong, to that new girl in the elementary school years ago, every now and then. She picks the juicy fruit, throws a ripped dollar on the counter for the food weighing her down like a sack of stones, almost in the clear, if stealing could be this easy everywhere. Joseph stands behind the white girl, nervously tapping the counter. He knows an addict when he sees one. Can't help but notice a bruise at the back of her neck. Ochre and green, stamps of a chokehold. A man should never lay his hand on a woman. Part 3. Mrs. Kim hands back changed to the white girl in the nice dress. She wishes her husband would come back inside instead of staring into space. He could help keep an eye on the black man looking at the blonde girl. She sees Raul mopping the floor. Lowell, Lowell, she barks. Come, come here, par favor. <laughs>
0: Alright, so, looking into that story, I think there's a lot.
1: Yes, there are many layers. Mm
0: -hmm. So, I think the cool thing is she puts three different perspectives. Mm -hmm. We have the wife, Mrs. Kim. Um, We have a little bit of glimpse into Raul. Mm -hmm. And then we have... So
1: there are four perspectives then. Mm. Mrs. Kim, Mm -hmm. Raul, who's helping at the bodega. Mm -hmm. There's the black man, Joseph. Mm -hmm. And then there's the white girl, Sandy.
0: So I thought the black man had very small amount of Mm. role throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought his character was more Mrs. Kim's focus on him, Mm. while Sandy... Is the one that we see a little bit more of so definitely that's why i originally was thinking three but yeah four
1: absolutely it shows the systemic issues at play and how those many layers for example mrs kim feels very uneasy around joseph but when she's not looking sandy is kind of robbing her blind.
0: mm-hmm which like systemic is the word because mm-hmm they moved here from Korea. Mm -hmm. They don't really know what's going on. Right. But with portrayals in movie, with things that they hear on the neighborhoods, like there's only one way to create a bad character in your mind and Mm. you don't do that on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's something that's pretty strong within first generation Asian cultures, like with our parents, Mm. is I think generally that's what I heard a lot of is kind of fear and concern with black people. And mm. that was heightened mm. during the LA riots. Um, she further goes on to highlight this in Sestina of Koreatown burning.
1: Yes. Pages 52 to 53.
0: Uh, where it's a much closer look into the effect of the LA riots. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines she uses kind of towards the end is she's describing this chaos of events. Mm-hmm. And she says, Fearing for our lives, my parents closed up shop, grounding themselves to threats that could shatter. Unaware, our black neighbors stood against our store entrance to prevent glass from breaking. Mm -hmm. A chain of fists to shatter. Not all black and Korean lives were against each other, grounded amid webbed glass. Mm -hmm. It's a strong image only because of what happened at that time. Yeah. With the ensuing chaos being both in neighborhoods that were predominantly black but also chained into areas that were had a high population of korean people Mm -hmm. there i think i said this in the last episode Mm -hmm. there were korean people standing on top of their stores protecting their stores with guns and there were korean people that shot black people so Mm -hmm. i thought it was a really cool image and i don't know it's very systemic in how we view this right with absolutely no validity or truth
1: Mm mm-hmm and I mean, colorism and anti blackness can be found on multiple levels mm-hmm. in multiple countries. Mm-hmm. Like, I do remember growing up and hearing relatives and family members say, you should stay away from these kinds of people. And by mm-hmm. these kinds of people, they're either darker skin or black, or they look different from us as Filipinos and Filipinex. But in the same breath, living with people from different cultures and backgrounds and not having the same, I guess, the same fight. Mm-hmm. And it could be different because we're in we're in Guam, we're a territory and the echoes of the LA riots we heard of, but it did not bleed into our everyday lives.
0: Yeah, I mean, but the LA riots were just a piece of it, like... Mm-hmm. the structure was already well built this right. was just like a little ornament that's being placed on top of it right 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 like the structure of racism was built for centuries totally and so what we've learned if we only listen to history and school the way that it's been taught when we were growing up right it's really hard to see the other side mm-hmm. and truly become an anti-racist against the hate and negativism towards black people Mm. it's i think what we've done more recently Mm -hmm. as younger generations have we started looking at the bigger structure of it and i think that's why we can now come to the conclusions of understanding how racist things really were right but yeah no i i think the la riots were just a tip of the iceberg so the stuff that you had heard when you were growing up Mm -hmm. was stuff that was already implanted for so long
1: totally definitely and it also shows up differently in different communities right exactly totally
0: there are several really great poems within this one of the other ones that i think you wanted to highlight yes was the price of rice
1: yes it should definitely be one to read and to watch out for if you do pick up bodega because it's not only a tableau of an immigrant mother and her relationship with her child. It also talks about the war in Korea and the how mm-hmm. this civil war was brought on because of people from outside the country. And it like tore and has still kept this country torn apart mm-hmm. years and years later. And now it's at a standstill. Mm-hmm. Yet... This mother who comes from this war-torn country is trying to impart love in this small way to her child.
0: Right. And not to mention, they teach the Korean way of cooking rice. Yes. (laughs) Which we've talked about before. But this is putting the hand in. Yes. Water comes up to the knuckles. Yes. And the wrist. But my hands are too fat, so it comes up to the knuckles. Yeah, so I mean, that kind of takes us through part two
1: and into part three right and here again we are seeing the after-effects and how even though things have maybe like quieted down there's still the assimilation and this need to survive in a flawed world
0: right and so let's start off with the first poem from this section
1: Mm mm-hmm It's called Face Off, and this can be found on pages 67 and 68. After a few nomadic years, we settled into a split-level house nestled in a cul-de-sac, away from bustling boroughs, but never far from raids of sprawling estates and train tracks that cleaved privilege and affluence from our constant state of deprivation latchkey kid, I often stole away to the basement chock full of vinyl bags of worn clothes and box skyscrapers, reeking mothballs. My mother, an expert magpie of things already discarded. Built-in bar next to the boiler, deserted and unused, became Barbie's mansion, multi-storied cross-sections of elaborate chambers rivaling any store-bought imitations. Unlike my classmates' dolls, who had entire Mattel playrooms filled with glittery toys and miniature Pepto-Pink Corvettes. My Barbie only owned one other casual outfit, so I made sure Ken engaged in easy conversation, half lying on a couch made from fabric swatches, mimicking what I saw on The Young and the Restless. In the throat of this hidden cave, I inhabited whiteness without retribution. No longer Ching Chong China Girl, I, a ravishing blonde trophy with perfect proportions. Pipe dream. I wondered what it would be like to strip away slit eyes. Sick of assimilation, the debilitating task of tireless reinvention. Then came the right solution. Press curling iron to sculpt a familiar countenance. Black magic marker graffitied over golden tresses. In horrific absolution, I beheld plastic melting into a gooey mess. Oh, the glorious stink of burning rubber! Without pomp or ballyhoo, I buried her in the backyard by a stand of evergreens, Ken thrown in for good measure, a pine cone in lieu of a headstone to lie in peace forever." I almost laughed out loud when I read this poem. Not only was it familiar in that the—in this poem the speaker's mother is the one who keeps all the things, but in my household my dad kept all the things. And we had boxes upon boxes of things stored in storage, and I'm putting air quotes here, Mm -hmm. and storage meant any available closet. You had? Have. It's still current, Mm -hmm. but we've been able to slowly chip away at it. Doesn't mean that it's gone, but there are still skyscrapers of boxes. So that imagery, the imagery of playing with Barbie, and knowing that she didn't look like me, but still playing with her nonetheless. And then how she said that she was essentially... the speaker was essentially trying to make Barbie look more like her, painting Barbie's hair black, and trying to use the curling iron to fix it, and essentially burning the Barbie. I didn't, I didn't have any access to curling irons, but I did have access to scissors, and Barbie's hair was too long, because her hair did not mimic mine, and I thought, in my little girl brain, that my hair grows, so Barbie's hair is gonna grow, so, just like I did to my hair, I cut my own hair when I was five, I cut Barbie's hair, and it was a mess, it was a wild, wild, wild mess, Mm -hmm. so... I totally, I totally related to the speaker in that I also tried to make Barbie look like me in order to feel, I guess, pretty or to feel more seen. Because at that time, there weren't Asian Barbies. There was definitely not a Philippinex Barbie.
0: Right like Ed Lim told us
1: yes exactly like Ed Lim said he looked everywhere and they were nowhere and the one that was that showed up late in life was too expensive for anyone to purchase the gospel of Ed Lim yes
0: (laughs) yeah no I thought it was just it was really good I this poem kind of kept on theme for me Mm. of poetry that highlighted her life events but Mm -hmm. spoke in certain ways to the things that i grew up with uh, once again we me and her looking at the stories we didn't share a whole lot of the sameness but we shared a whole lot of similarities yes and i thought that was something that i could grasp onto with a lot of her writing
1: mm-hmm, totally and other poems that showed the after effects or the aftermath were Han on pages 83 to 84, in which the speaker is, it's it's kind of like a parallel, a mirror of sorts from part one, where in part one, her parents were arguing with each other and having these fights. And then in part three, the speaker hears an argument in the other room, but this time it's not her parents arguing, but they're watching a drama together of some characters arguing instead. Mm -hmm. And another poem that I think everyone should read if you do pick up this book is Masters of Reinvention on page 75, where it highlights how the speaker feels that they need to act in a certain way and chameleon themselves based on the situation and not being able to be pinned down by anyone for survival's sake. Mm -hmm. And finally, one other Poem that kind of wraps it up or that kind of stuck out to me was Sarangheo on page 85. And I'm going to read the particular lines that kind of spoke out to me. And Stephen, can you explain what Sarangheo means?
0: <laughs> Sarangheo <laughs> means <laughs> I love you.
1: Mm-hmm. And on page 85, the last two lines say, Sometimes love is tying a knot in your throat, then taking it to the grave. Sometimes it's hoping against hope that a seed will flower into fable long after we are gone. So it's not only planting a seed for now and hoping that the love will prosper or fruit now, but even if nothing shows up in the present, hopefully generations later something else will bloom from this.
0: Mm -hmm. Also a very tricky way to make someone say, I love you to you. Hmm. Like Jeme, what, Wow! what is Mahal kita"?
1: It means I love you. Wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how is this similar or different to other poems or poetry collections you've read in the past?
1: So for me, what I find very interesting, but also refreshing is that Su Huang uses spatial and structural variety even within the poems themselves. So some poems, they're specific structures like sonnets and sestinas, But there are other poems where there's bigger spacing, less spacing, words that are scrunched up together and words that are broken up. So having those different structures and spatial and visual elements in one collection, especially in a small chapbook, it makes me feel validated because I used to do this with my poems and my English teacher in ninth grade if you're listening to this you were wrong and I was right you should be sorry
0: okay. um, I don't think there's one wrong or <gasps> right way to do things <laughs> um, so which
1: is why I don't understand why I gotta be
0: Wow. Anyways, (laughs) moving on from your past trauma, um, how has this collection of poems changed the way you think about the genre?
1: I mean, for poems, it really didn't change the way I think about the genre. It made me appreciate poetry even more, again, because I feel validated, but also because rather than focusing on the events, it was more about the experience itself and what was happening during these events
0: mm-hmm.
1: what about for you has this collection changed your mind
0: if i were <laughs> to be absolutely honest mm. reading a poetry book like this i think i understood maybe 50 percent of it
1: which is valid
0: yeah maybe like even 40 like it was the poems that stuck with me i think connected with me very well mm-hmm. but a lot of the other ones were just words that i was reading through so it was a Mm. story in passing rather than something that i could keep with me Mm. um i think some of it just kind of seems over the top for me like Mm. in terms of mm, not over the top but it's flying over my head i see um so yeah i don't i don't know i don't think i understand poetry very much so Mm. i don't understand the nuances like i don't know why the words are shaped like this versus like this Mm. versus justified versus Mm. looking like a painting
1: Mm -hmm. yeah um
0: so yeah it's 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 different it's something i'm not completely opposed to Mm -hmm. but i think reading through a whole book i'm definitely not going to be able to connect with every single one totally nor would i be able to partition out the different genres or the different categories that the speaker is trying to give the reader or the listener
1: absolutely and as a reminder for everyone both poets non-poets readers non-readers when we read poetry usually we should give ourselves space to read it slowly and multiple times Mm -hmm. so that you can give yourself time to marinate and process Mm because definitely reading through it once even for myself even as an avid poem lover there are some poems where i'm able to read it once and kind of get a sense and there are some poems where i have to read it again and again and again to fully flesh out what i think the meaning is Mm -hmm. so that's one give yourself time when you're reading poetry so if you read along with us and you feel like your brain is spinning totally give yourself space, walk away, and then come back to it again later. And two, just because this was our, um, my interpretation of the poems doesn't mean that that interpretation is right. Sometimes we get the interpretation that the writer or the author was trying to give to us. And sometimes we as human beings with prior knowledge and past experiences see and pick out different things and put more meaning into those things than the author meant so all that to say the interpretation is in the eye of the beholder Mm -hmm. so you take from it what you can and what you will based on the context that's given to you so those are Jame's two quick tips on (laughs) reading poetry
0: Mm -hmm. so would you recommend this book
1: absolutely yes i would recommend this book because there's so much to gain from it like we were talking about there are so many familiar scenes and vignettes and tableaus but there's also different global and national things that we can gain from it too Mm -hmm. would you recommend it
0: pass i don't know (laughs) I, i i think i stand to the side I I would say if you're interested in this, then read it. But for me, I don't think this makes me want to go pick up another poetry book right away. Mm -hmm. Because it's just... Yeah, I think I'm much more... I like the stories. Mm -hmm. And yeah.
1: I'm going to tack on... Is there someone who comes to mind when you're reading this book that you would share it with?
0: I think originally... So the preface in this book is Su Hwang writes it in English, but she has it translated to Korean. Mm-hmm. And reading the preface, I originally thought of my mom. Mm-hmm. But I think the stories are, seem to be written for a younger generation of mm-hmm. people that mm-hmm. can connect with her. Mm-hmm. So I think people around our age, so in their 30s, early 40s late 20s somewhere in that range i think are the people that connect that seemingly might connect with these stories the most
1: Mm, so millennials and gen zers yeah totally all
0: right so that ends our analyzation of bodega Mm -hmm. um and then we are now gonna move on to our next book Mm -hmm. which to help you along and figure out what that next book is we're going to give you our hint of jam.
1: So we have three hints for our next book club pick. First, the author is a vegetarian who was working as a textbook editor when she started taking a class in memoir writing. Hint number two, this memoir is a collection of essays. And hint number three, It's both a celebration and a conflict all at once.
0: Yeah. And so those are your three hints. The Hint of Jam. All right. So you stuck around with us for quite a while.
1: Yes.
0: Um, If you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, how can they reach out to us?
1: You can find us on Instagram at Asian Book Club Pod, P-O-D. And through email at Asian Book Club Pod Pod at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, and we also encourage you, now that we're kind of further into these series, we encourage you to kind of chat with other people that might be in the Instagram family mm-hmm. and just leave comments and thoughts that you might have on the sections that we've read or anything totally. like that. So that way you can kind of join in on the community of Asian Book Club yeah. folks. Yes. Um, You can also find us at AsianBookClubPod.com where we have our bookshop where you can find our recommendations and Mm -hmm. books that we've read so far. Mm -hmm. Um, Buy a book on there. It helps support us a little bit.
1: Yes.
0: And don't forget to subscribe. um, Do all the things that you do for other podcasts.
1: Review, subscribe, rate.
0: Yeah. And if we've learned one thing through all this... It's to leave poetry to the prose. Well, bye. bye.